This is WCPO FM 1051 on your FM dial, Cincinnati, Ohio. WKRC, Cincinnati. This is the nation station. Hi again, everyone, and welcome to the Cincy Shirts Podcast. It's episode 101. Today on our show from the Cincinnati Zoo, Colleen Nissen and Andy Hogan. We love talking about responsible pet ownership. Um, people see us interacting with these cheetahs and they think, oh, wow, I would really like to have a cheetah at home. Yeah. Oh, yeah, no, yeah. no, you do not. <laughs> and uh, we talk about how house cats are the only cats that are suited to being in our homes. They're adapted specifically to live with us, and they do make really, really great pets. Colleen and Andy are cat ambassador trainers, and they take care of Chris, the baby cheetah, the cute little baby cheetah you may have seen on some of our shirts, with Oprah Remus, who you may have also seen on one of our shirts. Uh, he's a rescue dog who is now that cat's best friend. We find out how a cute little puppy comes to get along with a young cheetah, the status of cheetahs in the wild, and what the fastest animal in the world really is. The cheetah is actually second. And we find out a whole lot more. If you've been liking the podcast, you can help support it via PayPal or Venmo. Simply use podcast at cincyshirts.com. Chip in whatever you feel is fair. Also, be sure to listen for the special promo code for 20% off near the end of the episode. Now let's talk to Colleen and Andy. Cincinnati, Ohio. Cincinnati, Ohio. I come from C-I-N-C-I-N-N-A-T-I-Cincinnati. Once in a while, I'm at So, so who are you guys? What's going on? Why'd you come to our uh, Hyde Park studio for the Cincy Shirts podcast? Oh, sure. Uh, I'm Colleen. Colleen. Uh, I am one of the cat ambassador trainers. Been there for seven years, and. I'm Andy. I'm also one of the cat ambassador trainers, and I've been here for a little over two years now. And, uh, yeah, we're real excited because we got some Chris and Remus merch in the store. Yeah. So we're so excited. To- and came to talk about our, our little fuzzy Heck friends, yeah. our fuzzy best friends. Yeah. <laughs> See, it's it's not all about Fiona, is it? No. There are other animals at the zoo. Do you guys get fun. jealous about all the Fiona stuff? Or you know, you we, like, we uh. appreciate all the Fiona love, for sure. <laughs> but, you know, we do get a little jealous sometimes that she gets a lot of the attention. Low-key jealous. We're, happy we're team to- Fiona. Definitely. Yeah. But low-key jealous. <laughs> yeah. I know. It's like, man, I, I was wondering about the – we always joke about the botanical gardens people. Or like, those people must be really, really mad that uh, they don't get that much love. Or, or did people ever people go really there do. just I mean, for, our gardens are incredible. Of course and, they're awesome, you know, but do people go there just yeah, for the gardens? Yeah, especially in the spring, we have Tunes and Blooms um, where all the tulips are there. Okay. And so they have um, free concerts every Thursday night uh, in April. And people can come to the zoo and see live music and see all the tulips in full bloom. And it is gorgeous. That's and awesome. So, yeah, it's a great way for people to come out. They yeah. are a fantastic team, our horticulture team, though. They do really Oh, they definitely. Work. I know, but it comes to, like, underappreciated. Like, people don't realize how much work goes into, I can't make a garden or, you know, tulips and, oh, yeah, no. and all that stuff. Oh, but, no. Uh, yeah, I'm great at taking care of animals. Horrible at taking care of plants. I cannot even. <laughs> like, <Same>. nope. <laughs> That's awesome. So, uh, you from here, from Cincinnati? Not at all. Neither of us. Okay. Uh, a lot of uh, the people at the zoo are transplants because uh, you go where the job is. So, I'm originally from Savannah, Georgia. Oh, nice. Mm-hmm. Neat, beautiful city. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, and I'm from uh, Grand Rapids, Michigan. 
Okay. So, yeah, so a lot of us have to move to get jobs in this field because it is so competitive. Um, so I've kind of lived all over the place, but I was working at a zoo in Texas uh, before I got the job here in Cincinnati. And actually, everyone on our team, nobody's from Cincinnati. Yeah? Oh, yeah. really? Yeah, we all moved for the job, but it's worth it. Except Chris and Remus. They are. They are Cincinnati yeah. natives. <laughs> Cincinnati. That's awesome. So, so, you, so you're Big Cat Ambassador. So in... In college, do you have to take a certain direction to specialize in, in in big cats? Is it all under zoology, veterinarian? What kind of studies? Uh, how how did you get to how did you get to that point? Well, where, I'm curious. You when you're little, do you have like a house cat? You think I need something bigger? <laughs> I didn't have a pet cat until I was an adult. So oh, wow, okay. uh, interesting. I did know that I loved animals from a young age. Uh, stayed good in science classes. I was actually uh, my degree is in animal science, uh, and I went to the University of Georgia. Go dogs! And but now you're doing working with cats. Now, yeah, mm-hmm. now I'm working with cats. And honestly, in college, I did a lot of livestock because okay. it's the south. And so, there you go. Um, but uh, I knew that I wanted to work with animals. I knew that I really loved educating about animals, and so I found this awesome sweet spot in an ambassador program, uh, working with animals and then having ambassador programming with those animals to teach people about conservation and teach people about animal natural histories. And I found my, my sweet, sweet spot there. So I uh, love it. But no, I didn't have to go to college for <laughs> big yeah. cats. I don't even think that that's a major anywhere, although that'd be cool. Let's start a big cat college. <laughs> <laughs> you guys got the knowledge? We, we can make you a logo. Let's do it. Online, big, big cat school. <laughs> Well, Cincinnati would be the place to go. We kind of are the self-proclaimed cheetah capital of the United States. We have one of the oldest and most successful um, cheetah ambassador programs in the country and also one of the most successful um, breeding centers as well. So people um, come to us to learn a lot about cheetahs. We actually hosted um, a big cheetah meeting uh, about a month ago where all the cheetah people from across the country came. Um, We did a husbandry course, taught people about taking care of them, um, saw our program, how we run our cheetahs on our lure machine. And we also had this um, big meeting with all the cheetah people to decide. Um, It's called the SSP. It's a species survival plan. So it's how um, breeding is done with endangered animals at zoos. They all come together once once a year to kind of decide where it goes. So Uh, our boss likes to like describe it as like the NFL draft meets like match.com. That's right. You know, they have the genetic histories of all these animals and they put it all up on a, we actually got to sit in on it this year. It was was really cool. Super cool. And did Cincinnati get the number one pick? Really intricate. Well, it's, it's, it's not quite like that, but I mean, yeah, we're good contenders for <laughs> top picks. But if, if you're the worst zoo in the country, do you get the first pick of uh, the best cheetah? It's based on genetics, so yeah. and um, who is a viable breeder or who they want to be breeding or not to be breeding. Um, and with cheetahs and specifically, um, genetics are a huge thing. Um, cheetahs have. Uh, really low genetic diversity um, in their natural range, and it's actually in zoos they have a better genetic diversity because they're managed by um, humans. And yeah, really? I know some, it was either Thane or someone was on about that on here. But they had these certain, a certain number of steps apart, preferably. Mm-hmm. And yeah, okay, Absolutely. I remember that. Yeah, you yeah. don't want you know brothers to be yeah, yeah, you know, sisters or anything. But there are different <laughs> levels of um, everyone's genetics are all mapped out, and they get actually a ranking. They get a score, and they have this spreadsheet where they have like all the males versus the females, and you will see like it's on a scale from like one to seven of like 
if they should breed or shouldn't breed. Um, so each of them gets a ranking. And then if it works out where like, you know, the, um, you know, fossil rim park can take one of our female cheetahs and they have a really good ranking, then we'll send one of those cheetahs down there. Um, or if we have an opening to get a female, we'll send some up here wow. kind of like, but then it's all the breeding facilities in the country are doing that. So it's like this huge thing. And we were just sitting in awe, like, oh my gosh, this is <laughs> above our pay grades. <laughs> That's yeah. crazy. It's yeah. genetics, it's algorithms and math. So, I mean, you're, Cheetah College that you're thinking of starting. Yeah. <laughs> it would honestly be uh, it would be a lot of math and algorithms and genetics wow. and nutrition and I mean we could make a full on degree program. You. I think that's so a lot to guys, know. Like the NFL combine where you got like four yard <laughs> dash times you and work them out and- or like I don't know are they prone to like what bad hips or like what what kind of uh, genetics are not. Uh, uh, good in a cheetah. Or, it's honestly or, most about like relatedness. Um, yes. That's what we're trying to avoid relatedness within because we have a population of about 300 cheetahs that we're managing within um, oh, gotcha. the zoos here. So that's mostly it. Also, um, you know, they have they reach a certain age where so it's not you know, like show dogs. Yeah, exactly. Like fe- females are their really good breeding ages, like between two and five. But you don't really want to breed a female that's like nine to ten. That's really old for a breeding female. But sometimes males can breed when they're older. It's not as much effort for them as it is for the, the uh. females. So kind of there's a lot of things to take into consideration, but it's not necessarily like this one's a taller cheetah or faster or anything like uh, that. Okay. Yeah. There aren't like breed specific. We're just looking for healthy uh, individuals and then we're also looking at the capacity that each institution or zoo has to manage uh, the pairing of the male and female and then do they have the capacity to house a litter and what that looks like. How yeah. many are in a litter? Are it can they, depend. Are they cubs? Are they kittens? What are they? Cubs. cubs. Yeah, okay. yeah. So cheetahs can have up to usually six uh, is like max. But um, if they have uh, one or two, what often happens is that mom will reject that cub. Um, this happens in their natural range. And when that happens, um, mom will actually like totally reject them and go to breed again. Um, and the reason for that, if you kind of think about it, cheetahs, they live like usually around 10 years in Africa. Um, and uh, to raise cubs to adulthood, it takes about two years. So for a mom cheetah, to the chance that one of her cubs is going to survive for that two years of that yeah. investment, um, and it's just, it doesn't make sense for them. And they actually will stop producing milk um, for that one cub and so that they can breed again and have a higher chance of having a bigger litter of up to like six or there actually have been like eight, which is crazy. <laughs> but wow. they need to have that many because it takes such maternal investment for them to survive and be able to grow and learn how to live on their own. Um, but what's crazy is that still happens in zoos. We're not entirely sure why that happens, um, but moms will reject their cubs. And so that's what happened with Chris. Her her mom, she had um, a litter of three and two were stillborn. And so Chris was... Um, picked to be hand-raised because in the wild that wouldn't have been really great for Chris, but in a zoo we're able to take those cubs and, and hand-raise them as ambassadors. So that's pretty much all the animals in our program, all the cheetahs were um, in that situation where we were able to hand-raise them. So once they are yeah. matched up in the big draft, mm-hmm. then it's up to the zoo, like you know, Thane of course famously said because and Josh brought this up, it's the most romantic zoo in the country. Yeah, so yeah. Like, do you guys have tips yeah. for that? Sexiest zoo in America. When you guys there, you guys want to try some candle lights? Yeah, music. right. No, I mean, yeah, we are one of the best zoos for breeding a lot of animals, but specifically cheetahs as well, and they 
are notoriously difficult to breed. It took a long time to figure out how to breed them in zoos. Um, they're just really picky. It's it's female choice, which is great, but it uh, makes they're very picky. Yeah. <laughs> Empowered. Right, yeah. right, exactly. Um, and so it's just it takes a lot of work figuring out what exactly works for them. And um, we have this way now where up at our um, breeding farm, which isn't open to the public, but it's really cool. They have um, all the different um, habitats for the males on the side, and then there's a long corridor down the middle. And so they'll actually have the female walk up and down that corridor and see how she interacts with the males on the side. Huh. Um, and hey, that's kind of how they help. Yeah, to, how you doing? Uh, yeah, exactly. So it's she kind of affectionately decides. called, the corridor is affectionately called Lover's Lane. Yep. Yeah. And uh, Does she have like a rose that she gives? Uh, right, right, exactly. Just like, just like on The Bachelorette. <laughs> that's awesome. So Cheetah's endangered? Yes. Yeah, they're endangered. A lot of the populations of cheetahs are endangered. And that's kind of a misconception, too, is to be listed as IUCN endangered doesn't necessarily have to do with numbers. There's a lot of algorithms for that, too. Uh, So um, it has to do with range. It has to do with viable uh, reproducers in the population. It has to do with the number of animals. Uh, But... Another thing that's a little confusing with that IUCN endangered thing is that the criteria just changed. So it looked like a lot of animals are getting off the endangered species list. Yay! Mm, it's just that we kind of lessened our criteria. Really? So there are populations that they say uh, cheetahs are not endangered. There's more populations where they are. Uh, but that's super misleading. Um, so to give you an example... About 100 years ago, there are close to 100,000 cheetahs. Um, now, I think that they estimate somewhere between 5,500 and 7,000 in the wild. Wow. So it's getting worse. It's about it's 90, 90% decline Whoa. in the last 100 years. Wow. Yeah. That's so sad. So, and tigers are even worse than that, right? Um, in the wild? I, I know that tiger numbers aren't good. I think a lot of, unfortunately, a lot of animals are really on the decline and for a lot of different reasons, but mainly human involvement. So yeah. that's never fun to look at that sort of so, thing. But so mostly habitat loss, right? Is a lot of habitat you, loss. Or is it or poaching? Is that because Habitat loss is probably going to be a big one. Uh, conflict with humans in, spa- in their space is going to be a big one, and that's a big one for cheetahs, is predator conflict uh, with the farmer's land uh, where they share their space. Oh, yeah. Um, but, you know, the Pet trade's never good for a lot of animals. Poaching's never good for a lot of animals. Where are cheetahs found mostly in the wild? Is it Africa? Is it the subcontinent? Mm-hmm. It's in Africa. Yeah, that's where most of them are. Um, there is a small population of Iranian cheetahs. They used to go all the way through the Middle East as well. There's only about like a hundred left there. So, wow. yeah, but it's, it's pretty small. And that's kind of one of the big... Um, really joys of our job is because we get to um, educate people about these animals and ways that they can help them. So like Colleen was saying, um, one of the big problems is human predator, human predator conflict. So um, zoos are really essential in helping support conservation on grounds projects. And one of the ones that we do specifically for cheetahs is um, providing guard dogs to farmers in Africa. Um, Cause they'll see a cheetah on their land and wake up one morning, see that one of their goats is dead. Well, cheetahs hunt during the daytime. Um, most other predators are at nighttime hunting. So they'll just assume that that cheetah is the one that killed the goat. Um, and that's their livelihood. That's their livestock. They can't survive without that. So they'll actually kill the cheetah. 
um, which is a lose-lose for everyone involved. Ugh. So what we do is we provide guard dogs to them. Cheetahs are big scary cats, and they are terrified of anything, especially a big loud dog bark. Um, and so that's a really cool way that we're able to help save the cheetah just by providing these guard dogs and then the humans and you know wildlife can live together and that's the biggest thing right now i think for conservation and our zoo is really great at working towards getting um on grounds humans and animals surviving in the same space because habitat loss is the biggest thing and our protected areas are not really they're, they're dwindling and that's also just not enough space for wildlife to thrive so we have to figure out a way that we can coexist with wildlife and share space rather than just have them in this preserve that you know yeah that's they, they can't survive in just that we need to have a way to have that so are they generally territorial like do they have like a five mile radius they like to hang out in or they just go wherever they want and run for miles yeah they they can be and that's part of um cheetahs are solitary by nature um so they're really only going to be uh with another cheetah when they're breeding so once they they have their own territory for sure um it only overlaps with a certain number of females or males um and they're only together with their cubs for uh mothers with their cubs for about two years so that's usually when you'll see um cheetahs together is for breeding or occasionally males will stay together their whole lives and form coalitions just because it's a little bit easier to survive um but Otherwise, cheetahs are solitary, so you need a lot of space, right, to have these animals that don't want to be around the other animals, uh, around the other Uh, cheetahs, right? And also for hunting as well, you know? If you're, you know, hunting off of the same populations, that's hard for cheetahs and a lot of other predators as well. Most predators will have a a range, and when those ranges get smaller and smaller, it makes it more difficult for them to be able to live off of that land. Huh. You don't hear about, you hear about lion attacks or tiger attacks. You don't hear about too many cheetahs attacking people. Yeah, thank goodness. Is that just? <laughs> is that not make the no, news? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I mean, I, 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 I picture them as almost being like a domesticated wild. I, I, I don't know. Is that a good? Uh, I wouldn't say they're domesticated. Uh, like, um, our animals like, and our program are very well trained, but cheetahs—they're hunting things that are 40 pounds or less. So, yeah, um, unless uh, there's you know little little kids me. running around the savanna, which usually doesn't happen. You they're know, also, we're pretty good. <laughs> yeah, they're also a flight animal more than a fight animal. So if they see something that makes them uncomfortable or scared, more than likely they're going to respond with a get out of dodge response rather than a put up their yeah, dicks response. Yeah, beat their chest. And-, um, <clears throat> and not to say that they aren't powerful predators, because they are, but they don't have the power that a lion has. Just natural history shows that they have their muscles for running, they're lean, they have pretty small heads to be aerodynamic, so that means that they have small and not as powerful jaws. Uh, so all of that combined is kind of kind of works in the advantage of not seeing them as quite of a scary animal when you think of attacks. But it's also largely because a lot of the ways that cheetahs are managed is uh, by people like me and Andy that are yeah. professional and know what we're doing and read That's cheetah body language scary, and though. stuff. I, I mean, I, I was lucky enough to, uh, when I dropped off your, your sweatshirts, I got to hi- hang out with Chris and Remus yeah. and everything. And then, uh, yeah, Chris running around. She's cool. She's just like a big little cat, you know. <laughs> big little cat. But, uh, yeah, but walking back through the, the shelter there, you get to see, like, how big the adults right. actually are. And like how big their heads are, I was like, man, I don't, 
I don't know. I was getting a little, little, little scared. <laughs> yeah, so they are naturally skittish, and they're actually picked on a lot on the savanna. That's a big problem um, for cheetahs just being able to survive as well. Not just, like, human conflict, but they are Birds big, big scaredy cats. And... They'll hunt, you know, out of ten hunts, they'll catch maybe about seven, which is really, really good. But they'll eat maybe only about, like, one or two of those. Because all the other animals will just watch the cheetah do this amazing feat of running 70 miles per hour to c- catch a gazelle. And then they'll just be like, okay, I'm going to just come eat this. Thank you very much. Uh, it happens all the time. Like, they are so scared. And that's a huge um, part of our, our jobs as well is um, really understanding the natural history of the cheetah and understanding that um, they are scaredy cats. So that's kind of how we how we train them and how we get them used to um, doing really cool things like, you know, doing our runs at our zoo and being really comfortable with that. Um, it's, it's a whole process that starts from the time we get them and they're just, you know, two days old up through their entire lives so that they are comfortable and happy um, in our in our home here at the zoo. But uh, the cheetahs that you would see in Africa would not feel comfortable um, in our program because they weren't raised um, by by trainers like us. I'll tell you three things that are the most ridiculous things I've ever seen a cheetah get afraid of. Uh, a feather, a pineapple, and oh. a balloon that had been stuck on a power line that was at least two blocks away. But the cheetah can see it. They have excellent vision. Really? All three of those things absolutely terrified the cheetahs to the point well, where Pennywise was in the area. They knew it. Maybe that. <laughs> I don't know. But that shows you the type of animal that we're dealing with. Something that's visually different in their area uh, is scary. They are meant to run. So running away is always going to be a better thought than fighting. And even that's a, if that's a pineapple, like it's, yeah. they're going to want to get away from it rather than fight it. That's crazy. So some animals are more adaptable to coexisting with humans than others. Because I was watching this thing on PBS where there's a there's this kind of bird in Italy that just loves the city. And the city has been great for it. There's places for it to perch and nest, which is way better than the jungle. And then there's these monkeys in India. They live out in the jungle in the morning. It's like they, they have a work shift. They come into work in the morning in the city, steal all the food, run around, chase each <laughs> other through the city at night, back to the jungle they go to live. And sure. it, the city works out for them. But I guess for cheetahs, it's it's much more difficult. Right, yeah. yeah. I mean, and that goes back to the, you know, habitat loss that's happening and the increasing space that humans are taking up. Animals are having to adapt and figure out new ways to live. And some animals have adapted really well to big cityscapes. Um, We have, just here in Cincinnati, we have the fastest animal in the world. It's actually not the cheetah. It's the peregrine falcon. And um, they've been able to uh, use the city just like they would use, you know, the the forest where they're, you know, from to get those really good drafts to go really fast. They can fly like 300 miles an hour when they're dive. So it's pretty cool. But um, that's kind of how animals are having to survive now. It's either you, you know, figure out a new way to adapt or, or you go extinct, you know? And so cheetahs are in this really hard spot right now where they are not suited to be living. (laughs) Cheetah wouldn't do well in downtown Cincinnati, right? They're not suited to that kind of environment. So it is essential for us to figure out ways that we can coexist with cheetahs and with predators and with wildlife um, in order for them to survive. Otherwise, it's it's not going to be looking too great for them. I've seen out in California, there was just a news on the other day that the mountain lions are just wandering in the neighborhoods now. They showed one sleeping on a porch right up against uh, this uh, sliding glass door. Right, and right. Be- yeah, so I guess they're getting 
and some some cats are getting used to the idea. Yeah, but, I mean, or you know, they also a lot of them don't really have a choice. <laughs> you yeah, know, yeah, if we keep you know choice. growing more and more, we like having you know our houses up in the pre mountains and the forests. Well, yeah. that's their home. You and know, their forests are burning <laughs> down. Yeah, <laughs> right. So yeah. It, it's it's making it increasingly more difficult for wildlife to thrive, and so they're having to adapt to um, new different ways to survive. So cheetahs not the fastest. What's the ranking? How? Where well, it? cheetahs are the fastest runners. So okay. the, they are the fastest runners in the entire so world. The, the fastest land animal. Yep, okay. and they can run up to seventy miles per hour. Wow. And go zero to sixty in three point four seconds. Wow. Yeah. Uh-huh. How much mileage they get? <laughs> <They're> right. <Yeah. laughs> um, so yeah, they're not the fastest animal in the world though. Like uh, I was saying, the Parian falcon is the fastest. They can fly with their dives. They can go. I don't know what the exact number is. I think it's like three forty something crazy. Wow. It's really really that. fast. Uh, yeah. yeah, and then there's some. Um, fish that can swim faster than cheetahs and stuff, but nobody wow. can run faster than There's cheetah. some type of mite or bug that, like, for its body size and the amount of space it can cover would be considered the fastest on land, but it, huh. it's obviously not going at right. 70 miles yeah. per hour. Right, head lice. Right. Let's hope not. Let's hope not. So how'd this puppy get involved? Oh, Remus! Yeah, like Ray what? Me do. I love that a little little old Remus. Now, <laughs> I mean, like who's like okay, this cheetah's gonna like this dog. Well, like why? <laughs> why doesn't the cheetah think he's food? And you mentioned before they they don't really not don't really care for dogs. Well, so that's naturally. confusing. It is. I will tell you that that part yeah. of it's confusing because a an adult cheetah uh, that's on the African savanna in. Hunting doesn't want this loud, big thing, first of all, ruining the element of surprise of a hunt. <laughs> but also, we talked about how scared and skittish they are. Yeah. So, if this is one of the first times that that cheetah in Africa has ever seen a dog, they're getting out of town. But uh, when they're raised together, it looks a lot different because they're together from when they're really young we always joke we don't know that if the cheetah thinks the dog is just a weird, unspotted <laughs> cheetah and the dog's like, oh, this dog is really weird. But to be completely <laughs> honest, they speak a lot of the same language. I know we think of cats and dogs being diametrically opposed as far as the types of animal they are. But when it boils down to it, they're, they're both predators. They're both carnivores. So the way that they are going to be playing and developing is going to be really similar. Uh, and just like social play is really important for human children, predator play is really important for tiny carnivores. So things like stalking and biting and wrestling and all that stuff that you see puppies or kittens doing, that's going to be really important to the adult that they become. So we want to be able to give the youngster cheetah that opportunity but as Andy was saying, a lot of times when we get the youngsters, it's because they were the survivor of their litter. They don't have litter mates. And it's a lot easier to find a puppy than trying to find another cheetah of the exact same age somewhere around the world. Uh, so we got so lucky with Remus. He is a, uh, he came from a rescue. So he was. Um, well, that's crazy alone. Because I mean, like, wouldn't <laughs> you think there'd be a breed of dog that. All right, over the years, this dog loves baby cheetahs, and it's bred for that. Well, but no, you guys just well, went down so, the street. Yeah, and said, we've actually You're with me. have been pairing um, cheetahs with dogs for. Um a long time. It started back with the founder of our program, um, Catherine Hooker, who uh, brought her first cheetah cub of our program back to her house. And she had a, 
a great Dane there. And uh, they, times have changed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it, it's, it's it's a little different now, but that's how it started, you know. And yeah. it just and it worked. And so now we're able to find out that you know it doesn't have to be a specific breed of dog. It's just it has to be the personality. And so um, we went to the it was the Animal Rescue Fund um, where we went and we tried. We met all the puppies there. There's a lot of really cute puppies. It was really fun. We got to go just like <laughs> hang out and cuddle puppies all day. Like sorry, our jobs are really hard. Um, but uh, it was really important because we wanted to spend all this time with the dog to find the right personality, right? We wanted a dog that's going to be outgoing, but not too aggressive. We wanted a dog that's going to be playful, but not like too high energy or not one that's just going to lay there and do nothing. Um, and so usually lab mixes are pretty good dogs. We actually have another um, cheetah dog at the zoo. His name's Moose. He's a chocolate lab. Um, he's still with his cheetah, Donnie, and they're three and a half. But um, at the shelter, wow. so there w- were a couple of lab mixes that we were, you know, gravitating towards um, just because they're the right size and temperament usually. Um, but Remus was over there. He was the last one of his litter. He was just sitting there and looking all cute and scruffy. And we like fell in love with him immediately because he's so adorable. Um, but we were kind of afraid that he was like maybe a terrier mix. He might have too high of energy um, for the cheetah. So what we did is we actually put him in with all the puppies and we let them all play. And we kind of watched their behavior and saw how they played and saw how they interacted. You know, one of the lab puppies got a little territorial of a toy and snapped back. And Remus just like backed off right away. Um, he never went to initiate anything. He would play nice, but he'd always back off and he always had a lot of energy. And, um, he was the only one that was really the nicest at playing and that's exactly what we needed. And so he was the perfect personality. So we brought him home anyways. (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah. When I met him, he seemed like, like, I don't know, I'm used to dogs just like wanting to jump up and, you know, be sniffing around. He just kind of seemed like he was into his own thing. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Know, he's pretty he independent, and he he's great for Chris. Like they match each other so well. Um, they have the they love chasing each other. They take turns chasing each other. Um, they are playing all the time. Uh, Colleen and I actually spent the last. Uh, Three months, pretty much, um, spending 24-7 with these two. Oh, yeah. So that is wow. part of raising a cheetah ambassador is not only, um, you know, spending the time to get them used to our area and stuff like that, but also to develop that relationship with them. So when they are full grown, um, they still trust us and uh, see us as their trainers and something constant in their life. So we spent the last three months uh, sleeping at the zoo with these two and we got to know them very well and kind of helped to facilitate this relationship that they now have that is so great Um, but for the first few months it was always supervised time we were always there with them um, watching them whereas now they're playing right now by themselves and doing fine wow yeah (laughs) that's crazy so i mean so how do you schedule that with your uh you know, you have personal lives, I oh, imagine. Oh, do? We, uh, yeah. I, I, do we really <laughs> have you guys socialize? Are you guys... No. Are you guys Not in the, the past three months. Are you guys actually <laughs> zoo animals yourselves? Let's get... I mean, we definitely, between the two of us, basically lived at the zoo. One of us was there. Uh, we had our um, our boss, Linda, also took a few shifts, but... Uh, Just a couple. She, she did. She just took a couple. <laughs> Sorry, Linda. It's true. Uh, and then our fourth full-time co-worker has uh, three kids so she got to be she has human children so she got <laughs> to be excused from the overnights because she's dealing with you know yeah. actual diapers a pack of her own a pack yeah, of her exactly. own so, so it was really just me and andy um and uh <laughs> so you just check the schedule on sundays and you're like dang it i'm not gonna be home till thursday yeah no it's, that is exactly what we happens. have a shower so right. like and mm-hmm. we you know stayed hy- <laughs> yeah. hygiene hygiene uh ready and we 
had a lot of Uber Eats. Oh, yeah. I spent, <laughs> like, we did get overtime, which was great, but I made up for it and what I got from Uber Eats. I guess <laughs> I don't oh. really have, like, a so kitchen to make food or anything. So, uh, yeah, I got lots of lots of good delivery. That's crazy. <laughs> how, many, how many trainers spend the night at the zoo every night in you know, all the different departments? It's not often. So it's, um, we do it when we have a baby cheetah. Um, usually, depending on the cheetah, it'll be from like three to four months of just our staff. Um, you know, when Fiona was young, they were spending the night with her overnight. Um, yeah. it, it depends on the animal. So um, a lot of the animals at the zoo um, don't necessarily need around the clock care like a cheetah does in our program. Um, but like when we had the uh, new baby giraffe that was just That's born, um, we have um, people that volunteer to like be on watch, you know, like on baby watch. So we'll have people that come and watch and, you know, wait for babies to be born and all that kind of stuff. But um, there's not a lot of people that are there (laughs) 24-7. We have a security staff that's there, I think, around the clock. Um, And then we have a night watch uh, department. So it's a few keepers that do rounds, feed out late night meals for the animals that need it, medicate late night medications that need it. Um, And... They do wonderful. I don't know how they keep that schedule because uh, doing overnights was hard and that was only for a few months. However, uh, it's really cool. They kind of get the zoo to themselves in the evening and they work really hard and know all the animals around the zoo. But they're not there all night, which is kind of nice. Man. And then, yeah, as far as your question on social life, I think me and Andy just bowed out of yeah. social life for three months. My, my family came to visit me um, a few weeks ago, and they were, like, you know, asking all about Chris and everything, and they got to <coughs> meet her, which was awesome. But they were like, so, okay, but outside of work, like, what, what's what's going on? What's new with you? And I was like, nothing. Yeah. Work is my life. Like, literally, this is, this is it. <laughs> and it's fantastic. I mean, don't get us wrong, but, yeah. Yeah, it's so cool. It's like... I yeah, I think that's what people worse. see. You know, they see how adorable it is, and you know, so you get these awesome videos of Chris and Remus snuggling and cuddling, which I literally have been sent the video that has been all over the world. Like friends in Australia and all over the place are sending me like, "I saw Chris and Remus on my local news." Like it's insane how yeah. they've gotten all over the place for sure. So it's definitely been the highlight of my career yeah, um, being able to do this that. for uh, sure. The social media team, man, they knock it out of the park. They know what. Yeah, sure they're, they're really, like. really amazing, and they uh, encourage us to, you know, always send them content and all this good stuff, and they pretty much always post everything we send them, which is really cool, um, you know, being able to see how um, their relationship has grown as well, because they even filmed the first time Chris and Remus met, and if you go back and watch that and then watch how they're doing now, you would have never guessed that uh, they are best friends now. Wow. They yeah. were slow goes on being friends, but now they're great at it. They're best and, friends. Are they likely to be friends into adulthood? So it kind of depends on the individual cat and the dog. So we let them decide that. Like I said earlier, um, we still have a cheetah dog pair at the zoo, uh, Moose and Donnie. And um, they're three and a half and they're still hanging out and doing great. They actually had a sleepover last night. Um, (laughs) But it kind of depends. So with males, um, like I also mentioned, like they'll sometimes stay with their brothers their whole life um, and form what's called a coalition. So sometimes males will stay with their dogs for longer um, than females were females, they like being on their own. <laughs> so usually at about the time they would separate from their siblings and their mom is when we'll see the, you know, separation naturally occur with the dog and the cheetah. Um, it's not like anything out of aggression or anything. It's more just like, I'm kind of sick of you. And we like to compare it to like, you know, you love growing up with your siblings, but at some point you don't want to share a room with them anymore. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> For sure. So will there be any other developmental, de- like, uh, will Chris grow up a lot differently than a cheetah that grew up with its siblings? Um, I will 
Definitely because she's in our program. So yeah. um, we don't ever take cheetahs like that are, you know, mom is raising on her own and doing fine. We're not going to take one and be like, okay, you're going to be part of our program now. Um, we will only take those ones that are our single cubs. Um, and their lives as ambassadors are vastly different than their life if they were going to be just, you know, um, in a habitat or part of the breeding program. So we um, will interact with our cheetahs as ambassadors through their entire lives. So we have cheetahs that are 15 right now. And we still uh, walk them around the zoo in the morning. They can't do that with any other cheetah that was not raised in our program to be trained for that specific role. So, Wow. Do you guys do anything with the lions? They're right around the corner. Do they they have their own set of trainers? So when lions first came to the Cincinnati Zoo, uh, they knew that that was going to be a completely different department, the African department. And a lot of it was still under construction. The um, draft phase was first, uh, so they redid the draft deck. And then the second phase uh, was the lion area. So before they hired an entire staff for the Africa area, um, they said, well... You guys are next door. You guys do cats. Yeah, so close. Throw it on the pile. Uh, so I was fortunate enough to work with John and Amani when they first moved to the Cincinnati Zoo. Uh, our team took care of them uh, for about a year uh, beforehand, um, before the rest of the Africa staff and the Africa department and the Africa animals got on board. Uh, and I will tell you the management differences between managing and working with lions versus what we do with our ambassador cheetahs vastly different nothing is the same about that um and that was a really cool experience for my career but it was also just so different um they just sleep right what i mean lions spend a lot of time sleeping but i what i'm talking about is more so the interaction with them so we like, like Andy was just saying, we take our cheetahs on a walks. We bring them into school programs. We do uh, an encounter where they're running in front of our visit or, or in a area for our visitors. Lions, we don't ever go in with. Uh, so that was a, a really big challenge for me personally because I've always worked in ambassador departments. I've only always worked with animals that we had direct contact interaction with. Um, so it was, it was, definitely different wow so yeah. no no trainers go in with the lions nobody goes in with lions okay. no that is uh, yeah. a big no no <laughs> that's a, and the siegfried and roy lions they're that's true like they're really they were they once, were siegfried and roy lions yeah they, mm-hmm. they once they were they on were at stage one point the yes. other ones not the ones in the africa not yeah, yeah. Money, but the other ones were okay so are those separated for a reason i guess you don't want the the celebrity lions with the... <laughs> They're also a lot older, oh, too. John and Amani are celebrities. Come on. <laughs> well, they haven't been... They didn't have their own Vegas show, is what I'm saying. Yeah, and John and Amani, <laughs> like uh, Andy had talked about earlier with the SSP, uh, Species Survival Plan, they have one for every type of endangered animal in, in zoos, every species. And so the people that were like the head lion people got together and decided that John and Amani should... Uh, get together and have babies. So their habitat had to be a lot different than the uh, lions that were managed as as relatives. And so that space was different too. Okay. Also, you're probably not going to put adult non-breeding lions together. 
That would just be weird. Yeah. It's, a, it's a funny thing, because I think, especially when people see, um, you know, cheetahs or sea animals by themselves, and it's common with cats specifically, um, that most cats are solitary. They prefer to be on their own, except for lions are the only, like, really social cat, but most predators are solitary animals. And I think it's hard for us to see as, like, primates. You know, we're very social creatures, and especially when we talk about, oh, the cheetahs will abandon their cubs. People are like, oh my god, how could they do that? And it's like, well, no, this is part of their, their natural history, and they are they prefer to be by themselves. So um, that's that's a thing. It's kind of hard for you know, <laughs> us to wrap our minds around, but that's that's how most animals are. They like being on their own. Or people see world. our adult cheetahs in the yard solo, and they're like, oh, isn't there, is there another one out there? I was like, that cat would be furious if there was another <laughs> cat in the yard with them. Yeah. No, definitely on purpose. So they'd fight? Either that or be terrified of each other. Really? Yeah. yeah. One yeah. or the other. They're not going to be like, best friends <laughs> two adult cheetahs uh in the yard probably wouldn't be the best yeah. unless they were raised together so sometimes you'll see our two cheetah brothers out in the yard or we have a pair of sisters but so being such solitary creatures how do they find time to like well i would like to you know get together with another <laughs> cheetah yeah so it's often not very pretty it's on cheetah tinder yeah, it is. Uh, there is a lot of fighting that'll happen um, with even through that mating process, for sure. They they don't like being around each other. It's pretty gruesome <laughs> when you you'll see videos of it on National Geographic and stuff. But it's not it's not altogether a romantic picture that you would typically think. <laughs> and also, so this is probably really weird to think about from a human perspective, but we're really you know, auditory and visual communicators. But when you have individual animals uh, that are far distances, using sight and sound isn't always the best way to communicate. So you have to rely on another scent uh, or sense. And that sense is scent. So when there are cheetahs that might be interested in finding other cheetahs to meet with, a lot of times they rely on uh, pheromones and also um, smells in what they excrete. So that's, you know, number one and number two, uh, because what sticks around a lot longer than your presence there is what you leave behind. So, uh, that's, that is cheetah tinder is going to the bathroom. (laughs) So, and then once they do, this guy killed a giraffe. I want him. Yeah. You can tell a lot just by the smells, uh, left behind in feces. You can tell about, around about age. You can tell whether they're male or female. You can tell whether they're looking for a you know, boyfriend or girlfriend or interaction. Uh, more so interaction. They don't really actually have boyfriends and girlfriends. <laughs> yes, yeah. uh, that's usually what I say to kids. Anyways, um, they're looking, uh, they can tell whether they're healthy or not. You can tell whether they're stressed or not. That's all what they can tell in just a few sniffs. And the other cheetahs can tell this. Absolutely. Oh, wow. Absolutely. And that's just what humans know that we can tell because we've gotten really good at breaking down those things and testing levels of uh, different um, chemicals in the feces. And there might be levels of things that we don't even know to look for that they can tell just by that. So it's uh, sounds gross to us because nobody wants to be courted no. by going to the bathroom in the human world, <laughs> but in the cheetah world, and that is how they would find each other is through that sort of thing. And then when they do get in close range, they communicate to each other uh, through some auditory 
uh, sounds the uh, stutter call. So this chirpy sound uh, that they make, um, a male will call to a female. And not only does that alert her that there is a male and if she's receptive that, you know, she can maybe make her choice, female's choice. But it also is thought that that stutter call induces ovulation. So because there is this really small window, they're not in big groups together. You want this moment to count. You want to be ready and have this be a successful interaction, especially because, like Andy said, it's it's not pretty. You don't really want to go through it more than that. So uh, it helps to make sure that that interaction is spot on, right on when it's ready. So at the, the Cheetah Farm, do you guys have, like, recordings of that noise? Do you try Oh, no, the males will just do it. Yeah, the cheetahs will do it themselves. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So what what do cheetahs look for in each other? Is it just, is it more about the opportunity yeah, in general? Yeah, it's more about the opportunity. Because they can tell all the stuff, or something's more favorable, well, and that's, like and that's strength, part of speed. why it took so long to figure out how to breed cheetahs um, in zoos, you know, because it is so specific and so difficult to do in the first place. So I don't know if we, we are not the, the breeding experts. We have a, Tom is our uh, breeding uh, cheetah expert up there. He works with all the cheetahs up there at the farm. He'd probably give you a better answer as to exactly what finesse it is. But I mean, and that's kind of how it is. And it depends on where they are. Uh, maybe the cheetahs that Tom works with are d- different than the cheetahs at Columbus Zoo and their breeding program program too so um it, it really it really depends and how many cheetahs are in the zoo program so like we that? um we like to say up at the, the breeding farm we have anywhere between like five to 15 at a time because they're always changing and moving around or maybe we'll have a litter or something like that but in our ambassador program specifically where colleen and i work we have 10 ambassador cheetahs that live on the main zoo campus okay um we have six running cheetahs that are part of our running program um so they April through October, we will do um, our Cheetah Encounter, which have you guys come to see it? Yeah. Yeah. A couple years ago. Yeah. Well, uh, you should definitely come back because every cheetah run is really cool and unique. And yeah, we have a bunch of other animals in our program. We love talking about cheetahs. We have a ton of animals. Yeah, the pig, the world. What's his name? Sir Francis Bacon. He's a Red River hog. Yeah. We are the cat ambassador program. So we primarily have cheetahs, those 10 cheetahs I was talking about. But we also have um, servals. We have ocelots. We have two dogs. We even have domestic house cats. Because that's a big thing that um, we love talking about during our encounters is responsible pet ownership. Um, people see us interacting with these cheetahs and they think, oh, wow, I would really like to have a cheetah at home. Yeah. Oh, yeah, well, yeah. No, no, you do not. <laughs> no. And uh, we talk about how house cats are the only cats that are suited to being in our homes. They're adapted specifically to live with us. And they do make really, really great pets. We um, show them all these tricks that we trained our house cats to do and how you can train your cats at home. They come out and do this cool jump and wave at everyone. They ride on our shoulders. Um, And we talk about the importance of spaying and neutering so that we can keep those cat populations down because a lot of people think that like the most ferocious, deadly cat in the world is something like, you know, a lion or a tiger, but it's the domestic house cat. They, in the United States alone, kill billions of animals every single year. Small animals, but still, it's really uh, devastating to natural ecosystems and the natural balance of things. Yep, so we uh, tell people that if you have house cats, you should um, keep them inside if you can. And uh, if you want to take them outside, just do it on a leash and collar. That's what we do with our house cats at the zoo. We'll walk them around the zoo with a cute little little leash. They actually love it because we (laughs) got them used to it at a young age, and we always do something exciting when we go. I think a lot of people uh, that struggle with crate training with their animals are 
maybe might be just trying to do it to do the scary things like go to the vet or uh, go in the car for the first time. So as long as you have positive associations, they actually love going out and on their leash. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's all the training that we do with our animals um, at the zoo. It's, it's called positive reinforcement training. So essentially it's a big word that means we just have something of a high reward for doing something that they do. So we ask a behavior. So, you know, we want them to go in a crate and then we give them a treat for doing that. Right. It's, it's pretty simple. You know, we always tell kids like, it's like if your, you know, parents tell you to clean your room and afterwards you can get ice cream. Right. It's that positive reinforcer. So we can, Take that simple concept and use it for all the animals at the zoo. So not only to, you know, train our house cats to walk on leashes, um, we can do it to train our cheetahs to walk on leashes. Um, it's really helpful as well for doing uh, medical procedures. So um, zoos have really evolved in that we try to do as much as we can um, in with animals' welfare in mind, and we want to make everything positive for them. So what's great is for something that used to be really scary, like going to the vet for our animals, now they can be trained to, you know, accept a needle and do a blood draw and and they are happy about it because they get to you know it's a, it's a whole training process um our gorillas oh they have so much cool training but they're actually trained to um you know come up on the mesh and they can do like ultrasounds on their bellies we have one of our gorillas that's doing physical therapy because he's target trained his arms to go up and down and stretch all the you know body parts that he needs all this stuff is done without like there is a barrier between them and the animals but that's it's all through training it's all through the same concept that we use with our house cats we use it with all the animals so it's really really cool you're saying how like you you advise people to keep their pets and cats indoors yeah and uh, our neighbors have cats so guess what? We have cats now too. <laughs> That's how it goes. I'm forever coming home and there's one sitting on our porch. Yeah. Like yep. So what can I do about that? So that's a really good question. Um, what you can do is there's a lot of local organizations that are doing really great work to help with this problem of cats and their expanding populations. Um, and getting them spayed and neutered is essential. So if you look up the Joni Bernard Foundation, um, that's a local organization that works here in Cincinnati. Um, You've they, probably seen their commercials. Yeah. The Give them ten or the scooter the neuter cat commercial. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so they'll give you a ton of really great things that you can do. Um, okay. And as well, and what's also kind of cool is their logo. It's a house cat and it has a little, um, one of its ears is a little bit shorter. And that's because um, that's one way that they will differentiate animals that they have taken and actually spayed or neutered. So they give them a little clip on their ear and that's how you know. So if you see a cat that has a little clip on its ear, that's because it was already spayed or neutered. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. But can he put something on his porch to keep those, uh, like the neighbor's cats that they actually... Well, if you want them, if you want them to come, you can bring they, put some food there, and they, they love like, that. They like my garage a lot. <laughs> can I like, spray it with lemon or something? Right. Or something. You know what I saw, which was really cool, is this guy was getting these um, coolers donated, um, like you know, old like igloo coolers and stuff like that, and he was actually insulating them and like making them as like a nice little warm bed for um, his uh, local feral cats so that they could have a place to live throughout the winter. Well, I want the opposite. I want yeah. To- <laughs> Beat it. Yeah. Our. What's the intelligence level of a cheetah compared to other big cats? <laughs> they are not very smart. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry to say. Oh. They just, so if you think of real estate in your headspace, they have that small head, so they can be aerodynamic. Uh, uh, they're visual animals. They have excellent vision. They can see for up to three miles. They're dumb jobs. Um, <laughs> well, yeah. So you got to think sure. they have a lot of room in their skull for their eyeballs, their optic nerves, optic muscles. Not a lot of rooms left 
for the brain, but they don't have to. They didn't have to adapt to do a lot of cognitive problem solving. They just have to be fast. There's other animals that have to solve problems in their data life, daily life. And luckily, cheetahs aren't one of them, but uh, unluckily, they're not the brightest. <laughs> so who is? Who, who wins the Smart Cat Award? So uh, the smartest cats in our program are the ocelot. By far. By, by far. They are a really cool species of cat that is awesome to work with, and they are very unique at adapting to any situation, and it's really fun to train with them because they are so smart. You have to really be on your toes and really be on top of it because they know what you're going to do before you're going to do it. (laughs) Wow. from uh, originally. So they used to range all throughout the Southwest United States, down through Mexico, South America, and now there is only a population of about 50 left in the United States. It's this tiny little reserve down in Texas, um, and that is about it. So um, having ocelots in our program is really important because it helps to raise awareness about that cat, and um, a big problem for ocelots is... um, Habitat destruction, you know, it's across the board here. Um, but Texas is um, 97% privately owned. And so a huge part of conserving the ocelot is convincing, you know, the local people that own the land there that they want to have this wildlife on their land. And so there's been a lot of really great work in going into restoration of that habitat. And um, what's also been really cool is our ocelot, CL, um, she uh, used to travel once a year down to Texas to talk well, she didn't actually talk. <laughs> she, <laughs> Colleen, and uh, the other trainers were doing the talking. You definitely want um, a talking cat on your property. But uh, yeah. kind of get people to see an ocelot and see how amazing they are, because they are pretty elusive animals, and they're out during the nighttime. And so, uh, yeah, Colleen can tell you more about that. They used to go every sure. every every year down there. Yeah. Yeah, it was really interesting. We do a lot to try to have people keep their land, but also restore it to the natural scrub um, to get people to work closely with uh, fish and wildlife just to monitor ocelot populations. The government wasn't trying to do anything else other than look at ocelots. Uh, And also we work with a lot of the people uh, that are in these areas. So uh, we would do talks about ocelot identification for Border Patrol or the Department of Transportation. Uh, Did a lot of work with the Department of Transportation um, and pairing, our pairing with uh, the fish and wildlife down in Texas. Fish and wildlife is really the the spearheader of all this, but getting wildlife corridors, getting um, speed limit lowered in certain areas because a big problem there is not only the habitat loss, habitat fragmentation. So there's just these little tiny areas all spread out and not a lot of ways for ocelots to get from one to the other, uh, but also road mortalities. So that's cool. It's cool to have a little uh, cat that does big things halfway across the United States. Yeah. Yeah. How many different cats does the zoo manage? Like how many varieties do you have? Oh my goodness. Uh, We have... Yeah, we have a lot. We have a Night is full of little Yeah, exactly, uh, exactly. Night Hunters is a different department than us, so I I can't speak on exactly how many taxa they have. Uh, It's a lot, for sure. And I think that, you know, that's the real importance of zoos nowadays is having a place where people can come see these cats, see these elusive little cats, like a sand cat that they never would see in their life. Right. Yeah. Um, and make a connection to yeah. it. Right. And see that that's a really cool animal. And you know, that's, 
our whole mission of our zoo is close enough to care. Um, we want people to have these experiences with wildlife where they are able to make that connection with the animal and hopefully want to do something to help save them. And so um, at every, zoo, every animal at the zoo is an ambassador for their species, but um, our department specifically is focusing on doing educational program with our ambassador animals. So like I was saying, our cheetah encounter, we do that all throughout the, the majority of the year right now is our off season. How many times um, a day is that? It's two, two times a day, yeah. So we do, and we do two runs per per encounter. So we're running uh, four runs a day for sure. Um, so it's a lot. It's really cool, and you know the probability that like a person from Cincinnati is going to go to Africa is usually pretty low. And also, if you're going to go there, the chance you're going to see a cheetah is very low, and even lower is the chance you'll see a cheetah hunting. Right? That is such a small, small little niche of probability, but. You can come to the Cincinnati Zoo and see a cheetah run right in front of you. And it's something that you can't really see anywhere else in the world. And it's right here. So it's so important that we have this amazing program. And people care about cheetahs. We have um, what's called the Angel Fund, um, which is uh, named after uh, the first cheetah of our program, Angel. And um, that has contributed millions of dollars to cheetah conservation um, over the years um, from our program alone. So pretty, pretty cool. Mm -hmm. And how does... Cheeto or the other cats get to go get to the show. In other words, you had the five to fifteen out on the farm. How, right. do, you get, how do you get promoted <laughs> up to the big leagues? Well, so like I said, it's you're either one or the other, right? So um, Chris was brought to be hand raised in our program, so she's going to live in our program her whole life. She's she's, she's not going born back into up it. There. She's royalty. Yeah, exactly, right. exactly. So the cats Sorted. that are in our program live on grounds. They okay. live right where the cheetah run happens. So um, they're they're out there all the time. Uh, when we're not doing runs, it's it's a free space, so they get to hang out in that big yard. So they have out of the farm and they see a cheetah they go I like the cut of his jib I like the thing. <laughs> yeah. get, him, get him down to Cincinnati or is it they're two, just two separate nope roles? totally separate okay. so yeah separate. we're not we're not pulling cheetahs from the farm or anything it's uh, just kind okay. of a when it happens it happens um, most of the cheetahs in our program um, were born at our farm but um, Donnie the cheetah I was mentioning earlier who's with um, the other dog he was actually an orphaned cub at a zoo in Oregon um, called Wildlife Safari and they were not able to to raise him and so he was sent here to be raised as part of our program so that sometimes happens as well we're coordinating with all the cheetah people across the country um, yeah. if cheetahs are born or if there is an orphaned cub um, trying to coordinate what's going to be best for that animal that's so cool the uh, so when's Chris gonna do a cheetah run? Well, she has been running a little bit. Um, part of her um, she chased the little she chases fuzzy the thing? little toy, not like the full um, lure system that yeah. we have for the big cats. But she that's part of why Remus is so important for her is um, to build up that stamina and build up that energy. We won't formally train her to run on our lure machine in our big football size field um, for a while yet, but uh, but she's already a pretty pretty good sprinter. So is that something you guys have developed, that the lure system? I can't imagine that uh, there being like a thing on Amazon you could buy that your cheetah will chase. <laughs> yeah, we're the first zoo that um, figured out how to run cheetahs. And oh. zoos will actually come to us to figure out how to do it yeah. um, if they want to do and it. And if you haven't seen that in person, well. it is crazy. Because yeah. it's like, yeah, that's a big old field and that's a big cat, but wow, she's already at that other end. Yeah, exactly. And oh, here she goes again. And uh, like, I don't know. That, that was pretty wild. But, um... Well, we've learned a lot here. <laughs> certainly have. Yeah. I know. Are we talking too much? Let's just no. take a... Uh, we could talk about cheetahs. I kid oh you not. God. All day. All day. Every day. <laughs> My, my son was into, into YouTube watching the nature videos and whatnot, and uh, that's what he, he he stumbled on some videos of Thane, so he thinks Thane's a big celebrity, which he is. He, I was yeah, he do is. But yeah, but that was pretty cool. But anyway, um, something, he, he watched a video once, uh, 
something about king cheetahs. Mm-hmm. You ever heard of a king cheetah? Mm-hmm. Oh, of course you have. But tell, tell, me, <laughs> tell me about uh, like, what what's king cheetah? A king cheetah is a, a genetic morph. So it's a genetic abnormality that uh, has what produces those black spots. It kind of overproduces. Okay. So those spots then become stripes almost. They're huh. really striking. Uh, it's something that is insanely rare uh, in the wild. It, it's Again, it's a genetic oops, basically. Um, and so... A lot of times you don't see them, and that's probably a good thing because you don't want a lot of genetic oops if we're, we're doing all this with our species survival uh, plan yeah, to make so sure. It's not, a, it's not a desirable trait. No. No. <laughs> no. And, and places uh, might have them, but again, it's it's definitely a genetic oopsie. So if you kept like breeding them, would they eventually be black? Uh, they'd probably they'd be, be like, really like, not well, healthy of, yeah, animals. Yeah, a lot of times what happens with those are they are recessive traits, um, and sometimes um, it can also have cognitive issues as well. Um, so you don't want to be breeding them because there might be other things that are linked to that gene uh, um, mm-hmm. that you don't want to be bred. Um, and cheetahs, they need their spots. So um, their spots act as camouflage, um, and it helps to break up their um, silhouette when they're um, hunting on the savanna. And if they have these big strikes, things that make them stick out, um, they're not going to survive. And so that's how, you know, natural selection kind of does its thing on its own. But yeah. occasionally some of them make it, and you know, those are probably the ones that you've seen. Man. Yeah. So I'm guessing there's no, like, liger with a cheetah. There's no, like, you know, like a tiger and lion get together. No. And there's not, yeah. like, a cheetah and... Uh, not, not because the personalities would naturally be occurring. Uh, oh. would be a healthy animal. So, is there any like test tube? Oh, I have like, no idea. Like, no, I've never seen cloning or whatever. Like, I've seen a few and, uh, <laughs> test tube things. I've seen a few uh, cat species that were hybridized, but not. I don't think. I don't I've think ever it's ever Cheetahs are very um, heavily managed and it is illegal to um, take cheetahs from the wilds. Um, and so and it's, and there's not many of them either. So it's yeah. not, it's not, and they're hard to breed, you know? So it's, it's, yep. there's not a lot that would even do that. And even if you were, it's not something you want, want to be doing for sure. Well, of course not. <laughs> but like you know, Jurassic we actually <laughs> do have some <laughs> Jurassic park kind of science that happens at our zoo though. Really? Um, yeah, but it responsible. Is, yeah. Jurassic it park is science. so cool. Like so we have tooth tigers and stuff. No. So no. it's Columbus to help save. Has a big dinosaur thing where you get to draw or go on a little boat and they actually see like robot dinosaurs. Nice. Yeah. Well, no, so we have this is um, real it's, science. It's real stuff. science that's helping to save critically endangered species. Um, so we have a whole um, department of scientists and PhD um, candidates and vets that are at our zoo and our conservation. Um, it's called Crew. Um, I think Thane was talking a little bit about it on his podcast, but they um, do all the or on the one you guys interviewed. Oh, okay. <laughs> we listened to it before we prepared. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Um, but anyways, uh, they do all this really great um, reproductive research and science on cat and on all kinds of endangered animals like polar bears and um, even on our CL ocelot that we were talking about earlier, she was actually created by those scientists at crew through um, in vitro fertilization. They do botanical stuff too. Shout out to the plants. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, they do uh, botanical uh, genetics. Yeah. So they can, they, and they also have a rapid like response team for if say, um, you know, this 
um, leopards, leopard um, that died at a zoo, maybe in you know California, they can actually send some of their scientists there and collect some of his sperm, and they will freeze it. They have what's called the cryobiobank, where they have all these frozen specimens from animals that have either passed or are super endangered, or they have some from you know really? the Sumatran rhinos in Sumatra. Like they literally have this crazy it's like i'm saying it's like jurassic park kind of stuff that they're doing yeah. here but it's kind of this really cool science that our zoo is doing to help save these critically endangered species yeah or yeah. safeguard uh against having to save them like like the genetic seed bank i'm sure you guys have heard of that frozen genetic seed bank yeah and i think someone's talked about that before on here yeah some of their zoo it's like that but with animals and it's super cool and it's right here in cincinnati and wow. it's fun it's fun yeah. to learn about that is hard to believe. But yeah, that's so cool that that kind of stuff's going on. Um, well, I reckon it's time for a code. I don't know. Okay. Yeah. Man, the time goes so fast. It's <laughs> just got started. Yeah. Um, yeah. So since you guys are huge fans of the podcast now, you get, that's you right. get the, <laughs> you know the drill. At the end of the, each episode, we ask the guest to give us a word or a phrase uh, that can be used as a promo code on our website. And you can actually go to our website and buy uh, Fiona merch and Chris and uh, Remus uh, merch, uh, the Best Friends Forever shirt. Uh, that we're which both is wearing. All the rage yeah. right now. Yeah. And uh, so, anyway, which, uh, yeah, proceeds from the sales of all those shirts uh, do go to the zoo. And all of our fans have been awesome and helped us raise a lot of money for, uh, for the zoo over the years. So, anyway, with that out of the way, what would you like your code to be? Oh man, we were we were debating earlier. Oh, we think yeah. we think we're gonna use the nickname we have for our dog Remus. We call him Remy Do. Remy Do. Remy Do. Remy Do. And I'll need a spelling on that. <laughs> I think R E M Y D O O. Like Scooby Doo. Okay. Remy Do. Exactly. R E M Y D O O. Okay. So I'll make sure I on the other side of this, I'll make sure people there you get go. this book. All one word. All right. Very awesome. good. So everyone knows where to follow the zoo on Instagram and all that stuff. Do you guys have personal accounts or anything that you wanna oh, Andy does. promote or sure. My Instagram is Andy underscore panda. Andy sure. Panda. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. I'm not as cool on the social media. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but uh, like I said, yeah, follow the zoo because they are always posting amazing stuff and um you can find all your Chris Remus updates on there. They are Always, yes, always getting all the cute, and adorable, can... and update. And we also um, will write blogs about them too, um, about their updates. So if you go to the zoo's website, we have a blog on there. You can check for some um, updates on a bunch of different animals. There's two blogs on Chris and Remus as well. If you haven't read those yet, we'll do Snapchat takeovers, Instagram takeovers for different departments. So, you know, if you want to see something other than Fiona, not you might want to just see Fiona. But it's cool to see other stuff <laughs> yeah. too, and that's daily fun to dose. And yeah. I think our our biggest hippo. plug is please come to the zoo and see the cheetah run. We have people that have been to the zoo a bunch and haven't seen it before because it is kind of tucked a little far back. Yeah. So you have to yeah. go up past John and Imani, past the lions through Africa, and then there's a big football field, and that's where we do our cheetah runs. So come check us out. Come and ask us questions. Same time every day. Is it? Is it? There will uh, be schedules. It'll change throughout the season, but um, okay. so just check the website or check oh, the daily you when go. you come in. Um, it'll tell you exactly when it is, and uh, you can come see cheetahs running. It okay. really is phenomenal. I've worked there uh, for seven years, and. I never get tired of it. I mean, I'm biased, yeah, yeah. but I uh, never get tired or unamazed by watching a cheetah run. It is, you can almost feel the ground when they're running. Yeah. It's super cool. Huh. 
Well, that's awesome. We'll have to go check it out. Yeah. And they're starting when? March? April. April 1st. Okay. All right. April 1st. Let's be there. It's, we'll it's be not a line. joke. It is actually April 1st. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, sweet. Well, thanks for coming in, guys. Thanks for having us. Thank you so much for having us. It's been fun to talk about all sorts of stuff. And Davy Crockett rides around and says it's cool for cats, it's cool for cats. Because Sweeney's doing 90 because they've got nowhere to go. They get a gang of villains in a shed up at Heathrow. They're counting out the fibers when the handcuffs lock again. Colleen and Andy from the Cincinnati Zoo. It's not just Fiona, kids, uh, but people still do love the hippo. We still sell a couple of Fiona-related items every single day. Uh, but the Chris and Rima stuff has done well, too. And, of course, you can check out all of our zoo apparel online or in stores. And, of course, a portion of the proceeds from our zoo merchandise goes to the zoo in support of their various initiatives with the wildlife and the plant life as well. Now, if there's someone you'd like to hear on the podcast, just drop us an email, podcast at cincyshirts.com, and put podcast guest in the subject line. You can use that same email, of course, to donate to the podcast via PayPal or Venmo. Be sure to tell friends and loved ones about the show, of course, including ones who may no longer live in the area but still feel connected to the tri-state. And if you haven't already, check out the Cincy Shirts podcast archives uh, from baseball great Johnny Bench to actress Amy Yazback. Tons of great episodes back there. You'll dig them all. Today's show is produced by me with help from Josh and Darren. Our theme music is Cincinnati by Big Nothing. They are from Philadelphia. You can find all of their music at iTunes, Spotify, or wherever else you get your music. Find vintage tees from great places like Boston, Phoenix, Pittsburgh, Cleveland, Louisville, Seattle, Philadelphia, and more at OldSchoolShirts.com. A lot of defunct sports teams, uh, shopping centers, restaurants. I think we have a couple of uh, old zoos in there that are no longer in operations. Uh, so it's like Cincy Shirts, but for those towns. And again, the promo code for this episode is Remydo, like Scooby-Doo, only there's no hyphen. It's just Remydo, all one word, R-E-M-Y-D-O-O, all lowercase, all uppercase. You can alternate upper and lowercase. That's fine, uh, but there's no dash. Use that to take 20% off your entire CincyShirts.com or OldSchoolShirts.com, or you can use that code in our physical or as we say, brick and mortar stores and over the Rhine, Hyde Park, and Loveland. Follow our social channels, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Snapchat for the latest NC Shirts news. Tell your friends about the show. Give us a good review wherever you get the show from. And as always, download or stream us next time. Bye.